0: And then all of a sudden, someone was in my room. And I opened my eyes. I was on my knees. I opened my eyes. Who's was in my room? That man, Jesus Christ, stood in my room. This amazing sense of God, Jesus, was in my room. And I wasn't scared. All I started doing was just weeping. The presence was so glorious because he was there in my room on that day.
1: Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. As you can tell from that intro, maybe we have some exciting things to talk about today. That man's name, Corey, was James... Tour, T-O-U-R...
2: James Tour and he is a Jew. Yes, a notable Jewish scientist of our day who has an amazing testimony of Jesus Christ. I think what we'll do uh, through in this podcast is play a little bit longer
1: clip. I will also put a link in the show notes, but we're going to just show that he is credible. He is not any slouch. Um, he's a very smart man. We're going to talk about what he has to share and then we're going to go into that a little bit and again we're talking about our hope and the purpose of the book of mormon and the rest of the story and things that are going on right now all over the world and christ moving among the jew and the gentile as prophesied in the book of mormon i hope that you will enjoy this one it's going to be good.
0: i got my phd in the field of organic chemistry postdoc at Stanford University. Joined the group of a man who was gonna win a Nobel Prize in chemistry. Voted one of the top 50 most influential minds in the world. I was a visiting scholar at Harvard University. I've spoken at every major university in this country. Have over 650 research publications. Voted the R&D Magazine Scientist of the Year. I'm in the National Academy of Inventors. I'm a member of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Over 120 patents started seven or eight companies. We work in areas that range from medicine to material science to electronics, computer memory, medical devices. We work across a broad range of areas. But more than any of that, what means the most to me is that I'm a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. I grew up just outside of New York City. I thought everybody was Jewish. I didn't even know that there was anything else. I had no particular interest in that, other than when all my friends were getting bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, and then I would attend, of course, every week. There was never really any excitement for me. I remember once I even tried to talk to a, a rabbi. He just brushed me off. There was very little explanation for me. I remember uh, when I went to college, I started meeting a number of people that said that they were born again Christians, which was sort of an odd term. I was, what's born again? What do you mean born again? One person saw me in the laundry room. He said, do you mind if I give you an illustration of the gospel? And I remember we sat there and he actually started to draw a picture, a cliff with a a man on one side and he drew a little man and then another cliff with God on the other side and a big chasm in between that he labeled with sin. I looked at him. I said, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anyone. I never robbed the bank. How could I be a sinner? And he had me read a verse from the Bible, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In modern Judaism, we never really talked about sin. I don't remember ever talking about sin in my home. So he turned to another passage. Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pow! I felt just as if I had been punched right in the chest. Here I was, new in college. I didn't think anybody knew. I would pick up these magazines and I became addicted to pornography. It was just through those magazines. and All of a sudden, something that's written in the Bible, somebody from Lib- who lived 2,000 years ago is calling me out on it and I felt immediately convicted and that now I realized I was a sinner when I read In the scriptures, what sin is, then I knew I was a sinner. How am I going to get to God? We Jews know this better than anyone else. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This description in Isaiah 53 of how he will bear upon himself my sin, the things that I had done, and this was him. This was the man that took this upon himself on the cross. The perfect God comes and gives himself for us. He is the one that gives himself for us. I started to realize how Jewish the New Testament is. This book is so Jewish. The New Testament is so Jewish. It's all around Jewish people. And then On November 7th, 1977, I was all alone in my room. The realization that Yeshua is the one who died on the cross. And I said, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. And then all of a sudden, someone was in my room. And I opened my eyes. I was on my knees. I opened my eyes. Who's in my room? That man, Jesus Christ stood in my room. This amazing sense of God, Jesus, was in my room. And I wasn't scared. All I started doing was just weeping. The presence was so glorious, because he was there in my room on that day. And I didn't want to get up. And this amazing sense of forgiveness just started to come upon me. That was him. Finally I got up, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to tell. Here's this Jewish kid from New York City. What am I gonna say? My cousins were shocked. How could you do that? You're Jewish. Telling my mother how I had invited Jesus into my life. She didn't say much. She was weeping. She told my father they weren't happy at all. And she said, I don't blame them for killing Jesus after the things that he said. Who is he to come against these religious leaders that have dedicated their lives to helping people and to tell them that they are whitewashed tombs? Who is he, this young man in his 30s, to say this to these scholars? He got what he deserved. And my mother's a very deep, pensive, careful reader. She read from Genesis right on through the Tanakh, the whole thing, when she got done. I said, what did you think? She said, God warned us over and over again. He warned us. When my daughter was about 15, my mother and father came to visit us. At one point, my mother went into her room for several hours. She came out. She said, quite a young girl you have. She talked to me for a long time. She started reading the Bible again, both the Old and the New Testament. One day, not long after that, she called me on the phone at the age of 72. She said, Jimmy, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, I was just reading. And it hit me. It hit me. The way he gave his life. I believe it now. Jesus is the Son of God.
1: Well, that was interesting, to say the least. There's a lot to unpack there, yeah, yeah. I think we should point out the title page again of the Book of Mormon: the purpose, convincing the Jew and the Gentile and the Lamanites that Jesus is the Christ, the Eternal, eternal God, the Eternal God. So, Corey, what?
2: Go ahead. What do you got to say about what you just what you just heard? Uh, um, my my whole week has just been changed in ways and part of it was this testimony um gosh where do you even begin um this man James Tour who you heard this testimony um is sharing something that he is not alone in um god is revealing himself to people but specifically people of Israel and specifically the Jews it's exactly what the book of mormon says will happen and it's exactly what the book of mormon says will happen when the time of the gentiles ends that the gospel will go back and not just the gospel as far as rules and ordinances and things but the testimony of Jesus Christ and it's it's so it's so important for each of us personally it's so important for each of us as a church uh, in in the church that we realize who Jesus is because the people of the world need to know and the people who witness of him need to know. And the people of the world are not going to want our, our baggage and our arguments and our confusion and the things that we have bickered about for years, the, the baggage we carry of, of history. They are going to have this fresh revelation of Jesus Christ and and we have the book that tells that story it was a number of
1: uh oh it's been a couple years ago uh, i was given the responsibility to bring the sacrament message and um it was the night before and i went to bed and i didn't really have uh i didn't really have any thoughts written down and um i thought well sacrament message i can get away with a short sermon anyway or a short little snippet so I wasn't too troubled, but I woke up in the morning, Corey, and a scripture came to mind that I don't know that I had ever um, focused on or made it a matter of study before, but it's found in Luke 10, and I think as we talked last week just a little bit, I think this fits in, and this is very fitting today, and this was the message I gave that day uh, in part that about coming to Christ, but at one point in time, Jesus comes into a city, and he comes into a house, and there are two sisters, Mary and Martha. And one of the sisters was really busy about just getting everything around and making sure the plates were set and the house was in order and all of these things. And Mary just wanted to be with Jesus, and she sat down at his feet. And Martha, I think, finally, it sounded like had just had enough. And, and she says to the Lord... Uh, Let's see what she say. Can you not see that, um, you know, my sister's not helping me basically and I'm doing all the work? And Jesus looked at her and says, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. But he says, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. One thing is needful. And if we look at those two women as representing maybe the, uh, the church, we can see that there's maybe two responses and maybe we've at times, I think each of us in our individual lives, but certainly as a church have maybe didn't done the wrong response. And that is, uh, we go about all of these things, trying to make everything right and make the setting right and do all of the business and get it all in order because, you know, the Lord's there, or the Lord's coming and. And what Jesus is saying, and I love this phrase right here, one thing is needful for each one of us, for you, Corey, for me, for the church as a whole, one thing is needful to come to him, sit at his feet, and in so doing, we're recognizing who he is. I mean, Martha knew of him, knew who he was, but in her heart, it wasn't a big, she really didn't know, but Mary knew this was the son of God and all she wanted
2: to do was be at his feet, needful for each for each one of us. You know, that's interesting what you said, Mike, about, you know, these represent the church. It it seems, without going into all the scriptures, many, if not all of the interactions that Jesus has in the New Testament with women can create direct parallels between his relationship with the church and somehow the church represents what the woman does or says. And in this situation, it's interesting that these two ladies being sisters kind of share the same DNA. So like you point out, isn't it interesting that they might represent two sides of the church? One, there's a group of of people who have come to Jesus who just want to be with him, who just want to worship him and just want to be at his feet. And there's another group of Christians who know he exists, but then it's kind of like the busyness of the hour just kind of overwhelms their thought. And so which church... Or which woman in the scripture are we? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's people who sometimes get caught up in all the busyness of things, um, thinking, hey, we're going to glorify Jesus by putting on a, a big meal for him, but not realize Jesus is right in the other room. Wouldn't it just be cool to be there? And I and mm-hmm. I kind of think this is maybe even where we're at right now um, in scripture. We we're busy thinking maybe the stories about ourselves, we kind of the Gentile church that the Book of Mormon talks of that the, the scriptures would come to. But eventually if we read the story in the Book of Mormon, the Gentiles kind of start to fall away. And at that point the gospel goes back to Israel. And all of a sudden they're like the people sitting at Jesus' feet and we're in the other room kind of bickering and getting busy. And it's like, who, 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 like you said, is doing the needful thing. Mm-hmm. Right? mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't
1: want to be one that was going to Jesus and saying, are you not seeing what's happening? You know, like, why are you concerned with these people? I'm the one doing all the work, trying to make sure everything's right for you. And he's like, well, you're, you are troubled. You're troubled about <laughs> many things, but but Mary's figured it out, and this is needful. And so I think that attitude of Martha going to him and saying, hey, I'm doing all this on my, I'm doing a lot of work here. And, and, you know, what's the deal? Why aren't you, you know, do I get any credit for this? And yeah, he's like, yeah. no, this is what's needful. And, yeah, but any, needful. I just was reminded of that as we were talking, because I, th- yeah, I see, you know, we're talking about the Jews coming and this is not a sad story for us as Gentiles, even though it says our time is up. It's an exciting
2: story because it means that this world is about ready to just be turned upside down. Yeah, and and the things that the prophets have looked forward to are are coming and they're unfolding. You know, let's talk a little bit about this testimony just to back up a little. So the man who shared is a is a notable scientist of our day. I mean, this is a recent testimony. The man's alive, and uh, his name is James Tour. Uh, if you notice, he he was nominated one of the fifty most influential minds. Of our time, you know, uh, and um, without going into a lot of detail, um, many Jews who are of a certain dis, uh, distinctive uh, subset of Jews who came from Europe, the Ashkenazi Jews are noted to have very high IQs and um, very high intellectual capabilities. It's it's a statistical fact. Uh, Nobel Prizes are an example. There's been about 600 Nobel Prizes given in the world since the beginning, and uh, Jews, Ashkenazi Jews, have taken about 20% of them. Um, Jews as a whole in the world are only 0.2% of the population, so that's one in five hundred. So if it was just, you know, uh, spread out statistically, and and Jews were just people like anybody else, well, they would have taken about one of the six hundred Nobel prizes. But now they've taken like twenty percent. There's a lot of things like that. Um, God's gifts to them are for a reason, which you know I don't even want to open up that discussion. But to say this, that the promise is that. The Jews would come back to Christ. And this is this is already happening. Um, what a couple things about his testimony. I mean, I loved every every piece of it. Wow, he 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 sees and senses Jesus with him after not even knowing Jesus his whole life. Remember we read this in Alma in this story of uh Alma talking to his son in Alma 17, how he's in this dark place and he's describing his situation to his son. And he said, and I remembered my father mentioning this Jesus and I called out to him and, 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 and and then, In mercy, he said, I I couldn't remember my sin anymore, you know? And and I know this man hasn't shared the book or read the book of Mormon. I'm sure he hasn't yet, but but yet he's describing exactly Alma's process, right? Mm -hmm. And then when he talked about, he said, my friend was drawing this cliff and this chasm in between the sin, you know, first Nephi three, the vision of the tree of life and the rod leading to it, and then you have the great and spacious building on the other time. In the middle is a dark, filthy gulf, and that, that gulf was called sin and wickedness of man, right? And so it's like you know, all these elements are exactly what God has used in the Book of Mormon to teach. You know,
1: <clears throat> Corey, when people listen to this, and I wonder, is it any less impactful to them uh, because it's available on YouTube and you sit down with this electronic box and you listen to the story as opposed to opening up a book of paper— in scripture and reading a testimony where Alma could remember his sins no more. And he had this an experience with the Lord and we believe they were part of the church. But I, I look at this testimony and what is the difference other than, uh, we would say, well, maybe Alma was baptized a member of the church, but, but it doesn't matter. This man had an experience with Christ that he's no slouch. I mean, he's oh my no, gosh. it wasn't like he's, probably didn't stand anything to lose. I mean, he was in all of the high circles. So I can only imagine if all of a sudden he has this testimony of Jesus, it's not doing him any favors in his social circles or in his job or his, his field of study. Certainly it didn't do, it's only done anything but harm to him and his reputation. So he was a man of stature. So what's the day? I mean, here is a man who was changed by Jesus. And it was like, it was like, but God did the work. I mean, Jesus yeah, came to him. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I got my finger on you. I'm coming. And he did.
2: And it was like, it didn't take any of us to go. Yeah. And, and despite all of his accomplishments, that people of the world think, oh my gosh, how did you do this? I mean, starting eight companies, you know, hundreds of awards and name on countless patents and and, you know, honored and praised wherever he goes. And yet he says, and the greatest thing is that I'm a Jew that believes in Jesus. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. Um, you know, people in the Book of Mormon, even Alma and Amulek, you know, when Amulek uh, starts befriending uh, Alma in the story later on, it's part of a sub-story, but his family disowned him. You know, a- Amulek just, you know, the, the the people that Alma brought a blessing to, they didn't want anything to do with Am- Amulek anymore. I mean, yeah, it's, what's what's the what's the personal risk? I guess it, it isn't doesn't really matter anything now. You know, you you just you're convicted, and that's what you do. And we see this through time. But um, in this story, though, in this testimony, I think it's important too, because it opens up a whole nother just conversation of of who is Jesus. Just this question, because you know and I'll be honest, um, we, we are, we call ourselves the church restored. We, we say we have the fullness of the gospel and yet you go and people won't take a stand because, well, we see the scriptures say what we perceive anyhow are are two different things. And by that, I mean, is, is God three different persons? Is there a separate father, separate son, separate Holy ghost, separate three conscious beings Or is it, is it one, is it, is it one conscious being who's manifested in three ways? And that's, that's a hard subject for a lot of people in the church because, well, you can kind of read scriptures different ways, but at the same time in our day, people have divided and severely over that. And, um, part of what maybe we could do is just even ask that question why, and then maybe look at what some of the scriptures actually say and just you know, have an open, honest conversation about it and see if maybe we can come to some understanding. And the reason this is important right now is because, you know, we we claim to be God's witness to the world of the truth, and yet we can't tell the story for sure. I mean, it's almost like the salvation thing. We have a hard time saying to, to know if we're going to be saved. But yet I want to point out on doing this through this testimony that you all have heard today the people who are coming to Jesus know without a doubt who He is, right? And 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 as he James Tour states, he said, "The perfect God came and was a sacrifice for me." Now, how can he? How can he say that, right? I mean, he he was taught as, uh, and I know you're you're reading a book that I'm reading right now too, and the, and the book is uh, written by a, a Jewish man, young man named uh, Ethan Barr, and he's israeli born he's a he's a messianic Jew to use that term um but he has written a book that basically explains all the things that the rabbis have done through time you know through the over a thousand years to try to discredit or vilify Jesus in the minds of the Jews so that they would see him as a criminal and that they would think to hate him and and part of the reason for that is because They attribute the anti-Semitism and the the hatred towards the Jews through time because of Jesus. So the Jews have been taught, hey, the reason people hate you is because of Jesus, so you hate Jesus. And some of the things they've done are just kind of uh, amazing. I didn't understand that, Corey. Um, I
1: think as different movies have come out and some have been better than others, but I think some have really dug into history a lot more and been more accurate. I've seen over time— that um, there was quite a collusion among what we would call the you know the leaders of the church at the time. I didn't realize how deceitful and you know and maybe working with the Romans. And I didn't even realize that Herod was. I thought Herod was a Roman. I mean, he was a Jew, but he was kind of allowed to rule to some extent. And so there was a lot of people that were just uh, just honest dishonest and trying to keep their stature. And of course, the Pharisees had a pretty good, pretty good life living the way they were. And and for someone to come and threaten them, I didn't realize that this collusion went on like after Jesus came and died, but Mm. I didn't know that, um, that there were writings by the rabbis that, that basically take scripture and then tell you what you think about it. Or they agree, like, what was it called? The midrash or yeah, the Talmud that's part of it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what Jews believe is based on what their leaders have. It's
2: almost like it's an oral tradition. Yeah, And
1: what this guy said was now they have the opportunity with, with the invention of the internet and everything. People have the opportunity to gain knowledge outside of this. It reminds me almost of like the Catholic church and it's strict control on Christians way back, not, not the Catholic church today, but way back, you know, in the early hundreds, their strict control on the Christians and, um, telling them what to believe, and that was the only way you heard the word was through them. Well, then it's like the the same things happen in the Jewish culture yeah, through their rabbis and teachers. Yeah, and
2: in the days, like you mentioned, under Catholicism, well, maybe the Bible wasn't available in print, but then it was probably, you know, uh, they didn't want it to the common man either because it was easier just to tell you, well, this is what it says. However, in this day, and this is the unbelievable thing, you know, these, these men— Who are sharing in these videos and and writing these books that we're currently reading are talking about right now in 2019 how the New Testament is still hard to get a hold of in Israel. And he said, he said, "Growing up, he said, we never heard about Jesus. We didn't know who this person was. We just knew it was this person who who had done evil things. I mean, uh, in in some of the oral traditions of of the rabbis, they they said that you know if you followed Jesus, you were going to be boiled in hell. It literally, <laughs> believe it or not, it says in excrement, excrement right? Yeah. And and then they." They claim that Jesus worked sorcery, and you know they they don't refute they don't dispute rather that he lived, but they they claim that he was someone who worked against Judaism and that he he died for his sins and all these things just make him out to be a villain, not God in the flesh who died as the sacrifice for sin. What, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then they don't know any of they don't know the story. And what I was only going to say by that was, I was amazed to read they said even the new testament it's hard to come by in israel right now he said it's but he said with the advent of the internet they're they're like feeling like a free people because they can access books and things that are restricted mhm did you hear
1: what, what he said when in his testimony and this goes into what i had looked up a couple episodes ago where you know only 20% of jews believe in hell he I didn't know this. He didn't even have a concept of sin. He says, I'm not a sinner. Right? What do you mean a sinner? I'm not a sinner. And um, I didn't understand. I guess I don't think what it's like to go to church. And I think of Jews going to church, and I think, well, they, they have a like good grasp of the Old Testament. I don't know what I thought or what they do, but it's to not even preach that you're a sinner or to not even know that you're a sinner.
2: I know. I know. I just came across a, a YouTube video I watched, too, and I, I don't have it handy right now to, to reference it, but we can link it later. But it's I, I it had a million views and it was of a, a rabbi speaking about hell and, and heaven and what happens when you die. And I thought, well, this sounds interesting. So I clicked on it and his whole discourse is basically trying to answer questions that people asked him about, well, hey, am I going to go to hell? And people who had heard the Christian message and then they come back to the rabbi and say, well, my friend's saying, hey, if I don't know this or that, I'm going to go to hell. Is there a hell? And he's basically saying there's no hell. He said, you, you know, you're in this life. Um, you go back to God. That's it. And, and that's how they've kind of explained things away. You live in this body of molecules. They turn back into minerals in the earth and your soul lives forever. Um, the, big point they miss. And this is one of the beautiful things of the Book of Mormon. This is why Israel needs the Book of Mormon. This is why everyone needs the Book of Mormon, too, is because it clarifies this. And as we've discussed recently when we talked about life and death, the the point is this, all humanity, all mankind, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, was and is eternally destined to spend life away from God and that because of sin in our soul, God realized something that we can't appreciate yet and that's that yes we're all going to live forever but if you live forever with sin on your soul it becomes hell your torments become like a like a lake of fire he said you can't imagine how painful and awful that is so he came in the gracious act was for him to intervene to make a way so that we could be saved from that otherwise that's where we were all going and that's the point it's not like just like well we live on this life, and then God decides if he liked you, you go to heaven. If he didn't like you, you go to hell. It's not that at all. No, all humanity was destined for hell. And so this gracious act of God could only be uh, completed by him himself. And And the Jews are already coming to this realization. So the Book of Mormon teaches this, and, and unlike the rabbi who's saying, oh, there's no hell. No, unfortunately, hell was... The final separation of everyone from god and and they don't get that they they apparently didn't get that from the rabbis anyhow that no our sin uh was was a universal problem. One of the other things again that they missed is that uh, like every year you know Yom Kippur is the 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 new year and there's a sacrifice offered, and in the Old Testament there were like two goats that were brought, and on one was placed all the sins, and he was let go, and the other one was sacrificed. Or then you had the unblemished lamb on the, on the, on the day of um, Passover. You'd sacrifice the unblemished lamb. They didn't realize all these were types of Jesus. But every year they had to do it. They had to offer another lamb on, on Passover or on Yom Kippur. They, they did the goats. And all these symbols they, they didn't realize were just to teach them about God and, and the sacrifice that would re- be required for humanity. But they got the point, and this is what James Tour brings out, is that unless blood was shed there could be no there could be no forgiveness of sin they they got that connection he said a jew knows that better than anybody we've we've lived that we've heard that we've seen that but what they missed is that that blood had to be sacrificed so that the sin of humanity once and for all could be absolved and without that we could never come back into god's presence so they just thought well hey as long as i kill this animal every year that's good enough. And and none of that was the point. The point was that all of this was to prepare them so when the actual Son of God was crucified, they would realize now the sin of humanity has been has been paid. Now we can return to him. What do you think? Um
1: so why the Book of Mormon, like like this this man, you know, Jesus appeared to him. Um, and then his mom, who, who was so sad, then she read the New Testament, or he told her a little bit about it. She read it and said, this book is Jewish, so so why the Book of Mormon, Corey, or, and, and I don't know if you've thought about this, or if you have an answer, we're just talking together, but why the Book of Mormon? Why, you know, when they read the Book of Mormon, will they recognize it as a Jewish book, you know, as part of their culture? But I think there's very clearly some things in the book of Mormon that are a lot clearer than in the Bible at least the way they're packaged t- together but what what's your thoughts on that I
2: I think that's a amazing question and there's probably well, a, a bunch of ways to answer it um I was just thinking just as I asked that question I was thinking of a chart that you brought out uh yeah <laughs> because
1: yeah. of of the way it speaks about jesus that the old testament did it, and right. i don't know maybe this is a good time to bring that in or every
2: not. all that yeah i've got that i've got some other things okay. and it's like you know obviously this is going to be more than one podcast but just to kind of open that up i mean you know you could look at it from more of a mechanical standpoint you could say well jews might realize when they read the words of the book of mormon hey this This sounds like Hebrew in English. You know, they could see that. Um, You could obviously see things like chiasms and all that. I mean, you could even make associations with names and and such, but, but it's, it's more than that. Um, What I, what I love is again, in this short testimony that you guys heard, he says something about how Jews understood better than anyone else that without blood, there is no, there is no sacrifice for sin. There's no payment for sin or no forgiveness rather. And, this message comes out so clearly in the Book of Mormon. So much <clears throat> of the Book of Mormon was it came with such clarity. The, the the biggest difference I think in the Book of Mormon is then the Bible is you, you have two groups of people. They're they're both they're both born into the Hebrew culture. Jewish tradition is a big thing. They're living under this Mosaic law. But in Israel, they don't realize that all these laws were given so that they could realize that Jesus was gonna be the sacrifice.
1: And we touched on this earlier, but the Book of Mormon was written to a group of people who understood the Mosaic law was pointing towards.
2: Exactly. Oh, and the Mosaic wow. law is, is, it's not like just part of their culture. It is their culture. I mean, it is their life, the Torah. <laughs> it's, it's not just like something they do and read. It makes up every part of them. And so you, you come to just for one scripture, you come to something like Alma 16 and, and, and you have to realize too that, I mean, just, I mean, we need to realize the biggest news to Israel when Jesus died wasn't just that hey the savior died but that they had been keeping this law of you know killing sheep and offering sacrifices and all these different washings and ordinances and things they had to do all part of the mosaic law designed to do one thing point them towards Jesus Christ and when when he came to the people in America who realized all these laws pointed towards him they they glorify him when he came to the people in Jerusalem who were keeping these same laws who didn't realize he was the end of it all. They, they crucify him, you know, they, they kill him for, for being what they said was an imposter. And so Paul spends much of the New Testament, I would estimate half of the New Testament are letters by Paul to different people in different areas, trying to explain to them how the law was there to teach about Jesus, but now that he has fulfilled the law, they don't have to keep it anymore. Galatians is is one book in particular that speaks almost primarily to this effect. Well, in the New Testament of the Book of Mormon, you don't have that problem because Jesus is there saying, hey, I fulfilled the law, and the people don't keep the law anymore because they understand, oh, this all pointed towards Jesus. In the Book of Mormon, they're the ones who say, yeah, we keep the law because of the commandment, but the law has become dead unto us. We we instead talk of Christ. We preach of Christ. We prophesy of Christ. We teach our children about Christ so they can know what to look forward to. That and is, yeah, that's and, and that's that's huge. So so in Alma, just Alma uh, sixteen in the RLDS version, I I just love this because it, it it just concludes this in such a a beautiful way. Um, these sacrifices, all these people, he says. I want you to know that Christ shall come among the children of men and take upon him the transgression of his people. He will atone for the sins of the world. For it is expedient that an atonement should be made according to the great plan of the eternal God, or else all mankind must unavoidably perish. Now, if I'm a, you know, living 600 years BC in Israel, I I don't understand what this is talking about because I just think the sheep did it for me, right? Killing the goats did it for me. And then, no, here in the Book of Mormon, they're realizing, no, it was all pointing towards the Son of God, this great and last sacrifice. And he said, it's an ex- expedient that an atonement should be made. Otherwise, he said, um, or else all mankind must unavoidably perish all are hardened, fallen, lost, they must perish. And except the atonement should be made, that's what's going to happen. And so he says, For it is expedient that there should be a great and last sacrifice, not a sacrifice of man, neither of beast, neither of any manner of fowl, for it cannot be a human sacrifice. It must be an infinite and eternal sacrifice. And then it it just continues. I just love this passage. If you don't mind, I just want to read a couple more verses. This is uh, starting at verse 213. But the law requires the life of him who murdered. Therefore, nothing short of that which is an infinite atonement would suffice for the sins of the world. Therefore, it's expedient that there should be a great and last sacrifice. And he says, and after that, there will be a stop to the shedding of blood. The law of Moses fulfilled. And he finally says this, and this is verse 215. Behold, this is the whole meaning of the law, every whit pointing to that great and last sacrifice, and that great and last sacrifice will be the Son of God, infinite and eternal. So so he he tells what the Jews have to this day still been blinded to that all of this fabric of the old testament was designed to teach them about this infinite and eternal sacrifice. And now God himself is revealing himself to Jews, showing that he was that person. You know, we thought he was going to have to wait on us. This is the shame of it. this all, is that we kind of thought we could argue and bicker and, and hold on to the gospel and think it was all about us being at the center of the universe. And, and then once we got our things restored and in order again, then we could go out and tell the world. And it's like God's already telling the world. Yeah. I am so, I'm
1: so thankful that I've come to this understanding, Corey, over the past couple of months. And and like I said, bringing that question up or that thought process up, maybe most people I go to church with understood that. I just never had, and I guess I, I knew it, but I didn't know it. And the thought that the Book of Mormon was written to people who. Where there was a freedom to talk about this mosaic law being fulfilled in Christ, and again, it was it was people that this was part of their life and their daily culture, and now for them to figure out and to be able to see that all of this pointed towards our God coming down and being, uh, you know, His blood being shed for us. Different story than what the Bible was allowed to, um, you know, than what the Bible. Preached because of like you said, you were talking to people that had that crucified him and leaders that were, um, you know, all along the way. The righteous were separated and came over here, and so it's just a different type of uh, preaching, different crowd, like we talked about. So, wow, that was that was neat because I I wrote that question down today. Well, why the Book of Mormon? This guy says that the Bible convinced him. Well, that's that was that case, but by and large, there is this book that really, I mean, is just amazing. Yeah, it's going to yeah. go out to a, a group of people when they read it. I could see that just moving in a mass. You, anyway, you've there's some other things that um, and whenever you want to get to it, and maybe maybe we can start the next one because we're, I mean, when we maybe a good way to start off, but I really enjoyed, and this was another eye-opener to me when we just looked at the names of God oh, yeah. as contained in the Old Testament, and then um oh th- that'll be fun. I, I just let's wanna just
2: name some of the names of God. Right? I wanna
1: I wanna I wanna like take our time and kind of slowly go through that and read some scriptures because that was really fun. Mm-hmm. That was unique and mm-hmm. that was like the more you looked at it, it was like this little mystery, this hidden treasure, and you're like, Wow, I've never seen that before. So let's let's save time and make sure we have time to do that. But what else you got? I mean, we know there's some you found some things
2: Well I, I think this you know what you just mentioned—the names of God—is something that boy, it's eye-opening when you see this, and we'll hold on to that for a second. Um, you know, just getting back to this, this whole process. So, whether it's the Bible or whether it's the Book of Mormon, the bottom line is it gets back to the story of of Mary, the one who recognizes Jesus and sits at his feet, right? Mm-hmm. How is he going to turn that person away? How is he p- sending that person to a moon glory too? You know, come come coming back to that for a thought for a minute. His whole point is he wants to bring the world to him. We have to lose the thought that he's trying to bring the world to us and as a as a church, you know, in our division and our bickering mm-hmm. and all this stuff. No, we're supposed to be the vessel to bring the world to him. One of the things we have to be able to do as and if we can't do it as people, at least individually. Is have the testimony of of who Jesus really is, and 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 most people say, "Well, I know who Jesus is," and it's like, "Yeah, but, but we can't we can't bicker about if it's three different people or if it's one, because the Book of Mormon is so clear about this, and and I and I think it's probably something we'll want to take quite a bit of time with to to go through and kind of explain it. Well, yeah, that's I. I say we just start with uh I think I say we just
1: start off with our next episode, going yeah. through these things and lining them up and um looking at them. I wanted to get back we we've, we've we've just got just a little time but i I wanna get back just to the hope the hope of the restoration because I know people hear these things and and I don't know, but people hear this and and maybe the first response is, and you feel like all of a sudden this big dream or this big mission that you had is all of a sudden being turned upside down. It's like, are you telling me we're not going to build Zion? It's like, no, Zion and all of this is still going to take place and it's still going to happen. And it's
2: bigger than anything we ever talked yeah. about.
1: And it's like, well, you're you're a part of it, I, I believe, if you're repentant. Right. And if you, if you love the Lord, so as they say, where's the hope? My thing would be, my response would be, order your life start ordering your life, start earnestly begging and supplicating and just throwing it all out there saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. I want the scriptures to be clear and plain. Help me understand, but but help me just sit at your feet and want to be with Jesus and allow that testimony to become, you know, ingrained in a part of your heart where, like, you are just, you are changed. And so you're prepared to share this message with others because I believe the great joy will be God allowing you to share that message with others. i always thought about that with the ministry that goes on, even on the other side of the veil. What a great thing to be involved with people. It just watching souls on a daily basis, like open up and be like, Oh, I get it. Christ way is the best way. Yes. He's a loving God. I want to be with him. I want to be better. I want to be good. I don't want to be evil and and sneaky and sinful. I want to just be good. You know, what a, what an amazing thing to see that transformation all the time. Oh, man. So
2: you know what you just pointed out? It's a, it, there's not a lot of secrets to this. The problem for me and I and I think in our generation has been we've missed the formula, and that's not the right word, but the simple process that we all have to go through that that Alma demonstrates. Where he says it wasn't until I called upon the Lord in mercy for forgiveness of my sin that this transformation took place. That's a different process than just thinking, "Hey, I found the right church and I and I'm a member of it now, right?" And now I just wait for the good things to happen or mm-hmm. the bad things to happen, then the good things to happen. Because some of us have grown up with that thought that, "Well, hey, we just have to be the right people." That's exactly what the what the Jews kind of thought was. They're in as well as that. Hey, well, we're we're of the lineage of Abraham, so we're we're the righteous people, right? We don't have sin. You know, how could we sin? Because yeah. God's, you know, God put His hand on us. We can't do that. For all of us individually, personally, we have to do just like Alma did. And and isn't it amazing that in this testimony of James' tour that we listen to, that he does the same thing? Where it's like it ultimately comes down to, will I confront? and confess my sin, and at that point say, Jesus, I want none of my sin. I want everything you. I mean, that's what Lamoni goes through in the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. That's what all these people go through. And when we go through that process, that's when the real revelation of who Christ is comes to us, and that's when we become empowered. You know, one of these other things, and this is getting back to the Book of Mormon, isn't it interesting that countless rabbis for more than 2,000 years— have been reading the same torah and have not seen the clear evidence that the book of mormon states that it was all pointing towards messiah well if you read this other book i think rabbis along the way have seen that well yeah in in and in a good and a bad way you know what this this book shares is that isaiah 53 the one that this chapter that talks of by his stripes we were healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. Mm-hmm. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You know, for the last several hundred years, many rabbis in their collection of scripture omitted that. They 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 cut Isaiah fifty three literally in half. They took that part out and just went to Isaiah fifty four because they couldn't explain it. Talk about that um, that
1: Dead Sea scroll where they found um, where uh, yeah just
2: it, just explain it. Well, yeah,
1: this, yeah. this 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 book that I was reading by this Jew, he said, um, you look at this one character, and it's very similar to another character. One of the characters um, describes the scripture in a certain way that doesn't really even make sense, the way it was, the word or the phrase it was used to say. But by shortening this character, if you had left it the other way, the way it was in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it basically says that you wounded my hands and my feet or carved a hole in my hands and my feet. Mm -hmm. And so what he said was when the the rabbis who were translating looked at that, like, well, this points awful a lot to Jesus. Let's just change this word, this character. We'll make it a little shorter. And now it says this has nothing to do with having holes in your hands and feet. Well, how many, you talk about restoring the plain and precious truths but the other thing he said was that the rabbis agree that like the messianic time or whatever has passed like it would have had to have been around that time so like mm-hmm. if it wasn't Jesus who was it so whether or not they believe it was Jesus i think they they believe or a lot, at least some of them believe that boy a lot of stuff does point to him whether they actually believe he was the person they just want to make sure no one
2: no one assumes that that was him mm-hmm, you know, or do their mm-hmm. little
1: part to make sure
2: the people won't believe it. Right. You know, and, and one thing too, and this is something that's, it's, it's, it's a, it's a bigger part of the puzzle. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, the, the Jews killed Jesus and they did this, or the Romans killed Jesus and the Jews had him do this and all this. But you know, in the end, the the real story is that God allowed it all to happen because, the sacrifice needed to be made for our sin, and, and their blindness to that of who Jesus was, was was prophesied. You know, whether they thought he was a sinner and killed him, whatever. It's interesting, in 2 Corinthians, um, you know, Paul writes that he said, um, Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he says, hey, we use great plainness of speech speaking about Jesus. He said, not as Moses who put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. That was the law of Moses. But he says, But their minds are blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, or the Old Testament law of Moses, the veil is on their heart. Nevertheless, when their heart shall turn to the Lord the veil shall be taken away, mm-hmm. isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. This whole prophecy is that when they come to Christ, they're going to see what this was all about. And so I come back to the Book of Mormon. I say, "Wow, these people—they had it so clearly." And and for thousands of years, rabbis have been reading the same text and haven't haven't seen this. And like you say, and yet maybe they have. They've tried to hide it in different ways, but they never saw what all these symbols were pointing to all along. Yeah, and even when I read the uh, some of this writing by Jews
1: who now believe in Christ, it's not like it's super easy to still look at prophecies pointing to him. It's like, well, how, you know, my wife and I have always at, like asked ourselves, well, didn't they get it? Didn't didn't the disciples get it that he was prophesied of? And it's like even, even this Jewish uh, scholar who now believes in Jesus, I mean, I'm seeing some Old Testament scriptures that he's using and showing, but I'm like, you know, here's one. I still don't get how David all of a sudden is talking, but he's prophesying now that he's going to say words that Christ, or that basically Christ is going to say words that David said way back then. And it's still not clear to me that it's like, how do I know he's prophesying of Jesus on the cross? But this scholar gets it, but I still, it's like, you know, when he says, my father, why have you forsaken me? He yep. was quoting the Old Testament. He was quoting, and basically their thought is that you know David was not speaking as himself because none of these things happened to him. He was prophesying of the Messiah. Yeah. But... It doesn't really. I mean, it's it doesn't all of a sudden, say that. How do I know you're talking? Like, like I'm talking to you, Corey. But all of a sudden, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a thousand years later, say yeah. Mike
2: Barrett was prophesying about I mean, the day uh, to come. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. So it's not. Uh, but uh, well, it's interesting because you you point out something else that's interesting. Remember, after Jesus dies and then he's resurrected, and he comes and he walks along with a couple of disciples at night, yeah. and the story is called the Road to Emmaus. And you know what's interesting about that? It's in the in the end of Luke uh, twenty four. So here Jesus, who had been with them even for a few years, and now in the resurrected form, they don't bless him, but they they're walking along and they talk to this guy and they're like, and he's saying, Hey, I see you guys are sad. Why, why the glum faces? And they said, Where have you been? Haven't you heard? You know, yeah. it's kind of funny they're saying that to Jesus. But then once they realize who it is, what the text says, and this is at Luke 24, verse 26. Jesus, it says, he started at the beginning at Moses and all the prophets and expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so he starts at the beginning of the story Mm -hmm. again, and he explains everything to them. And you know what it says about them? As they walked with them, he said, they said, didn't our hearts burn with us as he opened the scriptures? And then it says, and they were blessed, and their eyes were opened unto him. Yeah, and you know
1: what? those men back there, I think one thing is clear because they didn't all have a Bible on every street corner to right. buy. They, they they did know the word. I mean, it was memorized. It was, I mean, they knew the word. Right. They just didn't maybe not always know what it meant. But so I can imagine them like when he's talking, they're probably like, yeah, I know this. I've heard these stories. Yeah. And, uh, and they said their hearts burned within them. Can you imagine the revelation? Like all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, you talk about like I'm sitting here at the table, and all of a sudden I have this little revelation, you know, about, oh, the Book of Mormon was written to a group of people that believed. Oh, yeah, now I can see how that could really help the Jews. Well, can you imagine the revelation they had? And
2: yeah,
1: then, yeah. Oh, anyway, so this, this is, uh, there's a lot going on. There in, is. In my mind right now. That's, uh, uh, I'll put a link to this book that we're reading, the scholarly. You also saw some other things you've come across over in Israel, just that, there's a university, a Christian university,
2: yeah, and yeah. it's. Um, but they're they're the, Jews who are converting Jews, you know, and it's not, it's not like a bunch of uh, American evangelicals going over there. No, they're Jews who have the testimony. But there's of Jesus. quite
1: the battle. This
2: this guy oh, yeah. says that the rabbis have put together these magazines, and they're going out and
1: finding Jews who are um, involved in responding to Jesus, and then they're putting out propaganda to show why these things aren't true, and then some are losing their faith and coming out of it. So it's a real tug of war
2: battle. Yeah, it's like the the government's. Behind some of this, I mean, they're funding these people. That it's kind of an anti anti Christian thing going against these Jews to vilify them. Now, you also said that the Latter Day Saints have a presence over there, but but they have to sign. You saw that. What are they? Yeah. What's so their, what's their uh, stipulations? I I don't know anything firsthand other than what I've read. But uh, years ago, and my my quest of wanting to understand this happened because we really wanted to see if we could get Hebrew Book of Mormons in the hands of the Jews. Well, some years ago in the early 80s, the LDS Church, uh, bless them, did a um, a translation of the Book of Mormon into Hebrew. They started, like so many other Book of Mormons, passing them out for free in, in New York and went to Israel. And apparently that was frowned upon by the Israeli government to the point where they had to sign documents because the BYU university has an extension over there they have you know a college campus uh, in in Jerusalem but but anyone who participates in that campus has to sign this agreement that's with the government that they will not hand out any materials they won't try to go out and convert they won't try to preach or anything like that so the, apparently the uh, government told the LDS church that they could not distribute book of mormons over there so again it's it's and they either it had to come down to this they're going to try to keep uh, distributing Book of Mormons, or they were going to make them shut down the campus. That's just what I heard. Now, it may not have been true, but nevertheless, they are, their hands are bound right now, so they, they can't go witness of the truth. But yet, as these Jews are sharing, and, and the website, you can go look at this. It's org. one word, one org. And you can see the power that's in these people, and they claim that it's all because of the internet. They have access to books they have never had access to. They have access to Scripture now, and they're
1: what was the uh, what was the statistic you saw as far as usage of the internet? Yeah, so
2: um, they said ninety nine percent of Jews in Israel are online. They said as per capita. Uh, Jews are the highest user of YouTube, for instance. Mm-hmm. They're all watching videos and learning that way because they're getting access to things they've not, and I'm not just talking about Christian things, about anything. So they are the number one connected uh, country in the world, more so than either the United States or Japan. You know, I, I wonder sometimes, Corey, if there's a window of opportunity.
1: Um, I know, uh, I don't know, I say that a lot, I've heard that, um, you know, even, and we, we have seen stories even among YouTube and stuff. I mean, what if one day whoever runs YouTube decides like, I don't want words of Christ going out and and it's, and so, um, you know, window of opportunity, but also we talk about the Jews, you know, and being like a democracy and elections and everything, but it's certainly not a free society like we enjoy over here. I mean, they're very. Uh, still restricted as to information and things like that about, especially about Jesus. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, that makes you just want to take advantage of this time period even more, though. Oh, exactly. To, to get information out
2: while it is still free and allowed, and people aren't restricting it. Yes, exactly, exactly. I've had the same thoughts. It's kind of like time is precious. You know, we don't realize how good of a window we have right now to be witnesses. And we have to see the bigger picture and we have to see the bigger work that God is doing right now and, and not just think the stories about us. It's like, let's look up and look around and see, hey, he is He is unfolding this to the world. Um, You know, this, um, this has been a good talk, Mike. I, yeah. I can't wait for us to continue the conversation about Christ and the things of eternity and especially the work that he's doing here in the lives of the Jews.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to um, just pick up right here we say that a lot but we're gonna we have to we have to pick up next episode because we we didn't there's a lot to talk about and it's is, this is exciting this this just fills me with hope Corey. there's yeah. so many exciting right. things happening yeah. right now in yeah. today's um boy hey let's walk the people of israel home too right <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> until next time god bless